Hello, this is Anna and Brian from Amata World Podcast, and today we have our next guest for the AI episode, Caitlin from King's College London. Currently, she is a lecturer、um, in AI education over there. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. It's been a lovely week with the weather, hasn't it?、Um, actually, we met at some point. I think it was like a workshop or masterclass in for the AI. It was a workshop, a research workshop. Yeah. Can you please tell a little bit more about the、uh, workshop and maybe about your background and just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a lecturer in AI education at King's College London in the Department of Informatics, and I've been there for about a year now. My background is a bit. Multidisciplinary or di- diverse, I guess. I I am originally from Canada. I grew up in Kitchener Waterloo and then in Nova Scotia, and I studied computer science in Montreal in Quebec. And、uh, and when I graduated, the tech bubble had burst, and there weren't many jobs going at the moment in in computer science. And the Canadian government were offering. In internships to young professionals to go abroad, and gain some work experience working for civil society organizations. So I went、um, to Morocco and I worked for a women's rights organization there, and that sort of changed my career trajectory. And、uh, I worked for a number of years in international development, teaching civil society organizations how to use computers and build websites uh, uh, advantageously, and that.、Uh, Piqued my interest in in how people from different cultures learn how to use computers differently and for different purposes and for social good essentially, and that's when I went back to university to study educational technology at Concordia University, and I continued working for civil society organizations and building novel technologies for for human development. And to support things like collaboration and human rights and so forth. And、uh, when during my masters, it was it was a big struggle to、uh, to implement technologies in places that did not have adequate technical infrastructure and learning how to use technologies to suit. Social goals like collaboration, learning, and sharing information about things like agriculture or entrepreneurship skills or anything like that was was a big challenge, and so I wanted to learn more about how to support organizations that were struggling with similar issues, and that's when I went and did a PhD in technology for international development, and、um, so I worked. For a number of years on my on my PhD, and I was interested in this in 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 developing technologies that could be used to increase the way that people learn about their work or from their work while they're doing their work in in ways that wouldn't be a burden. So I don't know if you've ever experienced like in your job or. For your organization, when you receive money from a funding organization, you you often have to report back to the funder about how you spent that money and how the money that you spent on your work has led to some benefits or has had some kind of an impact. But that 
type of reporting process often takes a lot of time. And if you have multiple funders, you have to recycle that information often multiple times as well. So I really wanted to reduce that burden of reporting and use it in a way that could support learning. Um, and that's sort of essentially what my PhD was about. And following that, I did a, a, a postdoc in Singapore to try and further this idea about using open open technologies, open openness, so like crowdsourcing, open data, open educational resources, um, ways that you can share information and communication resources in ways that are advantageous to learning, to growing, to freedom. And I worked in Singapore for a number of years before I went to Australia. <laughs> and then in Australia, uh, I started something new. And I think... So it's, it looks like that you traveled all around the world and participated in different projects. But what was the first time you actually got involved with uh, AI? Yeah, so after I finished my postdoc in Singapore, I was looking for other job opportunities and I saw a job at the Australian National University um, to work for a new institute. And it was all a bit obscure in the job posting, but that's sort of what piqued my interest about it too. And the job was to join a research institute that was that was going to try and build a new applied science. We were calling it a new applied science at the time. And during the the interview process, they were hiring a few, a number of fellows, like four or five fellows at the time. And we were all from different multidisciplinary backgrounds. And we were the job was essentially to join distinguished professor Genevieve Bell, who is a senior vice president at Intel as well, and who'd worked for over 20 years at Intel with the latest technologies and could see sort of what the next wave of AI technologies were coming and was convinced that we didn't quite have the tools or resources or thinking around how to manage it at scale, uh, ethically, responsibly, or sustainably. And so her vision was really to build a new branch of engineering to manage these technologies at scale. And her, the interesting and you know exciting part of that task was really um, that her belief was that you have to have people from different disciplinary backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, people who haven't been developing these technologies, who are usually white men, Silicon Valley or, or what have you, um, to bring into this conversation to figure out how these technologies would impact our lives and to figure out ways that we could um, manage these systems at scale. And so we, we worked a number of years setting up educational pro programs, thinking about how to explain AI or how to educate people about what AI is and the impact that it can have on our, our lives and how to develop tools to, to manage, regulate, um, uh, essentially scale these technologies or integrate them into our into systems that exist, like transportation systems, education systems, healthcare systems, 
into our lives and societies, essentially. So that's how I got involved in AI. <laughs> that's actually very interesting. And do, can you actually share what are you currently doing? Any projects? What are you working if it's connected to AI? We were working with the Trustworthy Autonomous Systems Hub, and I'm, I've been involved in the Trustworthy Systems Hub for a number of years now through a variety of ways. But in that workshop that where we met for the skills program for the TAS Hub, we were working or we were working on a research program with the Department of now Culture, Media and Sport around thinking about what can be done to close the AI skills gap in the UK. And we were thinking about that in terms of what AI ecosystems or AI based or systems that are enabled by AI, what ecosystems around those might look like in the future. And so we were thinking in terms of um, transportation systems or healthcare systems, what are all the different types of roles and people and technologies that would be involved in ensuring that people have the right skills to use AI, to build AI effectively, to meet the demands of those contexts, as well as what regulators might need to know about ensuring that everyone is supported in that ecosystem as well. Um, and so we ran a number of workshops with policymakers and industry representatives and, uh, and students and academics um, like yourselves as well. Um, and so that was one project that we're running around AI. And then we're tr we're continuing that research in a new uh, research program called Responsible AI UK, which is a five-year research program that is whose mission is to create like an international ecosystem around responsible AI research and practice. And this is like a national research program where we will be funding the development of responsible AI, but our approach is really about putting humans at the center and human societies around responsible AI development. And part of that will be, uh, will be to ensure that, again, that people have the skills that they need to engage in AI development and using AI effectively and defending their rights or choices effectively and that skills program is where is what I will be involved in in that research program mainly that's really interesting because it's it sounds like you're you know heavily involved with the education piece around AI so one of the things where we're curious about is like what sort of skills do you emphasize when you're teaching about AI is there any specific aspect that you will focus on like outside the, the obviously the technical knowledge? Yeah, so my job in my department is really to ensure that our students are graduating with the professional skills that they need to interact within various industries and with various communities. And that involves responsible research and innovation, as well as developing ethical reflective practices, um, understanding interrelationships inter between technology and society. And so really being able to understand where technology is going to be implemented in contexts and to have the skills to imagine what 
imagine or anticipate the consequences that their actions could have. So I think in the past, computer science has definitely been criticized for being too theoretical, not applied, even though it is, it was original, originally an applied science as well. We're sort of trying to really build in more like practical examples and and teamwork and collaboration skills through group work and things like that. So in our programs, we do emphasize more applied skills and abilities in that sense, professional skills. But the things that we're seeing, the skills that we're seeing beyond the academic context that are, are beginning really to be important are around transdisciplinary skills or multidisciplinary multidisciplinary collaboration, because like, um, as AI starts to get implemented into contexts, we don't actually know definitively how roles are going to be changing. And so maybe new roles will need to be created. Maybe other roles will need to be adjusted. And, uh, we are, we're also really struggling with that translation piece between the developers and the places where AI is getting implemented. And so there's communication that needs to happen between the people who have these different roles as well as developers and the implementations contexts. And so until we sort of figure out how roles need to change or how technologies need to be developed for a particular context, then you really need to have these multidisciplinary communication skills or these translational skills in the meantime. And so we're finding um, that's really important. And then we're also seeing that the skills to govern or to regulate or to understand how to manage AI is, is something that we don't often focus enough on, especially for managers or CTOs or, or sorry, C, CEOs or C, yeah, CTOs and CIOs and all the, the executive suite managers also need skills around how to to manage AI as well. A lot of those skills are important all around in, in tech, I believe, outside of when people graduate. I think some, some of the topics that are becoming more debated in particularly the AI field is just because of how impactful the technology is. You know, the, the ethics of how people are approaching AI and what they are developing and really thinking about sort of the wider impacts of that. Is that something you also address with your programs? It's definitely something we need to do more of, but the way that we're thinking about it now is that we're trying to integrate ethical practice, like reflective practice skills, critical thinking skills throughout every module. And so it, it used to sort of be the thinking that you could put all of the professional practice skills um, in one course and, um, the students would just automatically be able to apply those skills in in their other courses or in their job. But our our thinking around this is that you really have to integrate those skills into every dimension of what they're learning and doing. So we try to have a focus on those skills, uh, like in in their project, in their in every sort of coursework and. That's sort of what we're aiming. <laughs> I'm hoping that it will work out that way. But if it was if it was easy, then we would have the answers already. I don't think we have all the answers yet. That's fair enough. 
I want to switch topics just a little bit. Sure. I think just recently in, in the news, there's been a lot of cases where students have started to get smart with the, mm -hmm. the use of AI, you know, using it in examinations and cheating. I think it's becoming a bigger problem in a lot of educational institutions. What are your thoughts on that topic? Sort of like people using ChatGPT to write essays for them, for example. Yeah, there's there's a lot of discussion about that in, in higher education right now. And there's definitely a lot of different views, even within our university and within our department, even. I'm sort of of the view that uh, we need, in order for students to be able to uh, decide whether or not that they to use this tool, we have to also consider how appropriate uses, like from our perspectives as lecturers, and how you could use these new tools to support the skills that we want to emphasize, like critical thinking, better programming practices, uh, ways to augment your understanding of the context of technology implementation or project management approaches. I think we do need to consider it from that sense. And uh, if if the students are able to use ChatGPT to write an essay that responds adequately well to an essay topic that we're setting, then perhaps it's not the best <laughs> question that we could have asked in the first place. I think too often education focuses on the what of of learning rather than the why and the how. And if we add elements of why and how into anything that we ask of students to do, then it becomes increasingly hard to get a chatbot, whether it's ChatGPT or anything else, to deliver that answer for you. Um, and so I had a conversation in a workshop a while ago with one of our lecturers that that is an expert in responsible research and innovation. Her name's um, Christina Cardi, and she came up with this brilliant idea that uh, if if we want to embrace the changes that are coming with this with this new generative AI tool like large language models, then we should think about it as that both students and lecturers should have the freedom to choose whether or not to use it. I'm a bit skeptical that we'd ever be able to ban something like this, but if we're thinking about it like that, that that we can ensure that lecturers have the skills to set an assessment if they choose not to use it, that would kind of disallow its use in a sense. So are they able to set an assessment that would would not really benefit from its use or or um, are students really understanding what they're going to lose out if they rely too heavily on these tools or not enough on these tools like if you're also afraid of them and you choose not to use it what are you going to be losing from it or by it so that's sort of the the most promising way of thinking about it that I've I've come across so far. In a way, we're trying to improve the entire education system as a whole to accommodate for this. But yeah. at the same time, I feel like, you know, the AI technology is rapidly maturing and maybe there'll be something where it might even outpace the, the rate at which education can change. So it might be still difficult in the future to create something that AI can't answer because it's just going to get better at answering the questions we ask. So there's that side of things as well. Yeah, but we have to be capable of 
turning the off button if it ever comes to that we need to understand what it's doing or we need to build the systems around ai to ensure that we know what it's doing and that humans are involved in that loop i don't i don't really sub subscribe to a reality where ai will just be left to its own devices so i think humans always need to be involved in that loop somehow and uh, and guiding the choices of how AI is being developed, what it's being used for and why. And I think we, we need to get much better at that, but it does mean that the skills that humans need to develop are going to be different than what we've previously focused on, which is giving specific instructions to computers to do specific tasks. We need to think about this more as like at a systems level and how to build systems effectively that incorporate AI agents in their own rights as well. Absolutely. I guess on a related note, I do want to get your thoughts on some of the, I guess, the, the fear around AI at the moment. So lots of people are afraid of having their jobs replaced by some kind of AI counterpart. There is a ongoing writer strike in the film industry at the moment that is affecting a lot of people and i'm sure it is the same happens in plenty of other industries as well so the, what are your thoughts on that so i think it's i think it's really well interesting and probably not predictable that it's always you know the fancy holloway hollywood writers uh, that get the most attention for uh going on strike because their jobs are revered in our society at the moment but it's been it's not a new story, is it? And, you know, we can think of multiple jobs in the past of, of professions that have been less uh, revered in our society that have been replaced already. And we haven't, we, we've talked about it, of course, but we haven't done something so far. So like, I'm thinking of cashiers who have been replaced by the automated checkouts. And I think about um, farmers or farmhands who've been replaced by automatic milking and so on and so forth. And we haven't acted enough, I don't think, yet. And surely it's not as though we need to protect necessarily those jobs from being replaced, but we need to, we do need to consider about how the benefits of AI are being distributed across society. And we talk a lot now about supply chains and factoring in the whole supply chain of AI development into its costs, for example, or um, supply chains are, are in our thinking around AI. But I think we also need to think about the, the flows or benefit flows of AI as well um, to really be able to manage these transitions more effectively. And what I mean by that is that if the benefits are only flowing to a small set of developers or shareholders, then we're not doing enough as a society to, to consider why we have these technologies or why we're building them. And so, for example, if it meant that um, if we replaced with AI some professions and it meant that we could fund more teachers or more nurses or more people uh, that really are required to have personalized uh, or caring responsibilities for other people 
or for jobs that we really value, then to me, it would make sense. But right now, that's not what we're seeing. So I can totally understand why there's a lot of fear around that. And there's definitely uh, a lot of speculation that humans won't be replaced in many of the creative problem solving or critical thinking jobs or these jobs that I'm talking about in, in terms of managing or regulating AI or using AI in partnership to do tasks. But I do think there will still be many jobs that will be reduced or replaced by technological developments as it has been in the past. We don't know the scope or scale of that quite yet. It's something that we're going to be researching in our responsible AI program around the future of work. But yeah, I think my <laughs> my hope is just that we can use the benefits of AI to, to benefit more people equitably. And it may not be like a direct relationship around that. It may, may be something that we, as a as the UK society need to to govern through our, our democ democratically elected representatives. Yeah, we've been talking about slightly, I guess, uh, depressing topics. So let's let's look at it, something a bit more upbeat. So so what are your hopes and predictions for the future of AI in the next year or so? Yeah, I wish my hopes and predictions were the same, but I am I'm an eternal optimist. So and I would I would probably quit my job if I wasn't hopeful for the future. So my hopes are that we continue on the path to make AI more equitably beneficial to all of the people within our society. And that means getting more people involved in its creation and use and ensuring that people have the skills to, to be involved in those conversations, raising public awareness and engagement around what AI means for their lives and for their for their jobs and for their learning and so forth. My predictions though are probably things won't change that much and that we'll have to will continue to be a struggle. And I'm hoping that we can find more and more people that have similar hopes and dreams as as us within the Responsible AI UK program so that we can turn the dial on this as well so that it's not just a hope and a dream but um, that will really make a difference you have any last words you want to leave to our listeners or if people want to find out a bit more about your work how can they find out more information you can visit the responsible ai uk website at rai.ac.uk and on our website you can sign up to our mailing list to get the latest news and opportunities for how to get involved and we will be having our first town hall on Monday, the 26th, which is next Monday at the Good Enough College from 12 to 4. And you can also find the information for how to sign up for that town hall event if you happen to be in London on our website as well. Great. Fantastic. And with that, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank, Thank you. So you. Bye. Bye-bye.